الحمدللہ وکفا وسلام علی عباده الذين استفا اما بعد اعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم الله الرحمن الرحیم لم يعلم لم يعلم بان الله يرى فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الحياء شعبه من الايمان سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلاما على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم الله سبحانه وتعالى سز من القران الكريم الم يعلم بان الله يرى that do, do the, uh, our humanity are they not aware that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees all things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching them at all times so Imam al-Kushayra begins his chapter on Haya and the Risala al-Kushayriya by quoting this verse from the Quran that does not a person realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching them at all times and then he follows this up with the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-Haya'u shu'batun min al-Iman now I'd mentioned in class the other day that there was something in here that if one was to try to comment upon it, it would take a lot of time. So I skipped it in class. And at that moment then I felt that I would do it today uh, in our own madras here at home. And that is that Al-Fadil ibn Ayyad explained that five of the signs of wretchedness in a man are number one, hardness in the heart. Number two, severity in the eyes. Number three, paucity of shame. Number four, desire for this world. And number five, a limitless expectation for worldly gain. So before we do that, let me just comment a little bit on Haya for those who are not in class. Haya in the Arabic language, right, there's no single one word that can translate this. Shame, modesty, and shyness. All three of these words begin to approximate the meaning of Haya. And the sense of Haya here being referred to in the first verse of the Quran is simply the Haya that a person should have before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, that a person should ha- be in awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, should feel shame, should be in a state of modesty, should be shy of the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching them at every moment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows each and everything that we do, each and everything that we feel, each and everything that we think, each and everything that we imagine. He knows our sir, He knows our akhfa, He knows our secret. He knows our innermost being, He knows that which we keep hidden inside of our breasts. And so when a person feels that way, when a person is re- aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, the, in this way that He has described Himself, that He knows and He sees each and everything, then a person increases in their shyness and their shame before their Lord. Right? An example of this is one early shaykh used to tell his students that, Oh my friend, Whenever you desire to commit a sin, you close all the doors by which creation can see you, you draw the curtains on the windows, you lower the blinds, you shut the shutters, you close the doors, so that nobody can see you committing that sin. But, oh my servant, do you, my friend, do you not have any fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Do you esteem or value Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala less than you do all of creation, such that you feel haya or shame in front of others, but you have lost any shame or haya before your Lord? And this is really our reality, is that we do not have any haya before our Lord it would be absolutely traumatic for us if human beings found out about the sins that we do we would never sin in front of somebody who we respected if they were our elder whether it was a family member a teacher an older sibling a friend in fact we wouldn't even want let alone our seniors we wouldn't even want our juniors or our children or younger siblings or our students ever to discover us or catch us in this act of sin or not even would we we would not we wouldn't be just embarrassed if they saw us do that sin we would be even embarrassed if 
after the fact they came to know about that sin so sometimes when we do a sin we hide it from others but moreover after we commit the sin we try to hide its track so much so that we might commit other sins to cover up our tracks we might commit the sin of lying, the sin of deceit all of this so that creation might not see us in that state of sin or that creation would not find out about that sin because we would be embarrassed or shy in front of them. So then imagine in the state of embarrassment or shyness, the state of shame or modesty, the state of haya a person should have before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it should be the most terrifying thing in our mind that we should do a sin and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala find out about it and when we keep in mind the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all seeing or all knowing then that means surely there is not a single act that can escape us a single word that we can utter a single emotion that we can feel except that it comes in the awareness the vision of Allah except that it becomes part of his knowledge and therefore the people who have haya the people who have the shame and modesty they are extremely reluctant to disobey their Lord they are embarrassed before their Lord out of the love that they have for the Lord out of the kindness the raham the, the karam the generosity the mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showered upon them they are ashamed before him to do any act that might incur the slightest of his displeasure let alone to do something that he has outright forbidden and the Prophet mentioned this hadith Al-Haya'u Shu'matun Minu Iman So Imam Bukhari Rahimahullah Ta'ala in his Sahih in his Kitab on Iman in the Book of Iman he has actually dedicated a whole section uh, a whole bab on this hadith Al-Haya'u Shu'batu Minu Iman or the fact that the Prophet taught us that Haya is a part of our Iman it is a branch of our Iman Right? So this is not something that is a part of taqwa or a part of wilaya or a part of the highest level of Islam or a part of the highest daraja of people who enter Jannatul Firdaus. No, haya is something that is an attribute of the mu'mineen. Haya is something that is part and parcel of our iman. So those of us who wish to view ourselves as people of iman, who wish to be raised on the day of judgment amongst the mu'mineen, that we have to adorn ourselves with these sifat. Right? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many places in the Quran and also through his beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and many hadith and the sunnah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions uh, right, different attributes of iman which we call the sifat of the mu'mineen now if you and me do not respond to this call if we do not try to adorn ourselves with these sifat the sifat of the dhakirin, the sabirin, the tawabin, the awabin, the mutawakkilin, the mutatahirin the khashi'in of his salat the people who are people of dhikr people of remembrance people of reflection people of fortitude of endurance of repentance to Allah people of sincerity people of righteousness and piety if uh, we do not adorn ourselves with these attributes and there's nobody left on earth who would respond to this da'wah nobody else left on earth who can respond to this invitation uh, by Allah subhanahu wa to elevate humanity by enabling them or calling them or inviting them to adorn themselves with the perfect attributes of a mu'min. And one of those attributes is haya, urge to have shame before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hosea ibn Ayyad, right, so those who were there in class would remember that we went over seven different types of shame that Imam al-Kushayri rahimahullah mentions in his risala. After that, after outlining those seven times, then he quotes a saying of a very early master of the soul of Al-Fuzayl ibn Ayyad. And Fuzayl ibn Ayyad rahimahullah ta'ala said, five, there are five signs of wretchedness in the man. There are five signs of corruption in the human being, right? And these mashayikh basically came, used to come up with different lists. 
Right, somebody will mention five signs, somebody will mention seven signs, somebody will mention three signs. Different of these Mashai pointed out different things. All of these things are based on the Quran and Sunnah, but they reflect the personal experience of that teacher, uh, which is a result of his experience of training students for years and trying to enable students to purify their bad character. So there are five things in his experience that he noticed are devastating. The first of them is hardness of the heart. The first of them is hardness of the heart. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes this in the Qur'an as something initially, uh, or in its utmost extent, as something that applies to those who have denied the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who have denied the existence of God. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them, بَلْغَانَ عَلَى قُلُوبِهِمْ That then, verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put a rust, a coating of rust. He encrusted their heart. He you know, harden their heart with a layer of rust, right? Ran in Arabic means rust. Now what does this mean? That means that those people who deny the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who refuse to accept Iman, then their heart becomes uh, extremely hard. But, you know, the Mashaikh from this tradition then took that, okay, if this is being related to Iman, so if a person denies nafsi Iman, then their heart becomes hardened. What about that person who nominally accepts Iman, professes the Shahada with their tongue, but still denies to mold their life according to the teachings of that Iman? What about that person who nominally accepts Iman with their tongue, but refuses to try to adorn him or herself? She refuses to adorn herself with the attributes of Iman. She refuses to try to develop a level of kamil, mukammal Iman. Then to the extent that we are unable to perfect our iman, then to that extent our heart will become hardened. Right? And the sign that our heart is hardened is several. Number one is that we know that our heart is hardened when we commit a sin and we don't feel any remorse over it. Right? This is the first sign that a person's heart has become hard. That we commit a sin and we take that sin lightly. And there's several ways to do that. The most intense way is not to view that as a sin to commit something that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but to be in a state of denial or in a state of delusion and not to acknowledge or accept or understand that that action that we did is something that displeases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the second level is okay to understand that that action is displeasing to Allah however not to feel any remorse over it not to feel saddened in any way and this is something that most of us have fallen into, right? We've become desensitized to the enormity of our sins and we've become desensitized to the incredible gap that comes between us and our Lord when we commit sin. And the reason for that is that we exist or we are existing in a state of ghafla or in a state of heedlessness. You know, if we are unaware of the qurb, if we are unaware of the proximity of Allah, then we will not be aware of its absence. What is that person who is not aware, a person who does not have a sense of taste, is not aware that something that they put in their mouth is sweet, then they will not notice the absence of sweetness because they were never aware of the sweetness to begin with. Therefore, a person who does not have the halawat of iman and the lazat of ibadah, who does not have the sweetness of faith or has tasted the pleasure of worship, when that sweetness of faith and that pleasure of worship is taken away from them because of their sin, they don't notice its absence because they were never aware of its presence in the first place. So that is the second sense in, in, uh, in which our hearts have become hardened, right? But not only are we hardened, the first sense is that we are hardened, we become desensitized to sin. Right? Uh, and the second sense is that we become desensitized to good, to virtue. That we perform ibadah but we don't feel pleasure in it. We perform salah but we don't have the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in it. Right? And this is in sharp contrast 
to the Sahaba Kiram radiallahu anhum ajma'in that they were such people Allah SWT describes them in the Quran they were such people that nothing in this world no worldly activity no worldly occupation could distract them from the remembrance of Allah SWT in other words they were always tasting that sweetness they were always tasting that pleasure they were always in that state of itminan Allah bi zikrillahi tatma'innul kulub so the first thing that Fuzayl ibn Ayyad ta'ala mentioned is hardness of the heart, right? And the example of taste is also given by many mashayikh in the following way that a person when they are physically sick then they lose their sense of taste. In other words, their tongue is no longer able to discern what is sweet and what is bitter. Just like that, a person when they become spiritually sick they lose their faculty of discernment, they're not able to distinguish between right and wrong. Then when a person is physically sick, if they're even more sick, then the second thing happens to them is they lose their appetite. Not only are they no longer able to taste food, whether it's sweet or bitter, but now they don't even have an appetite for food, they don't even wish to eat. Just like that, a person who is spiritually sick loses their appetite for the obedience of Allah, loses their appetite for ibadat, for acts of worship to Allah, loses their appetite for zikr, for remembrance of Allah, loses their appetite to become remorseful, penitent, to do istighfar, do tawbah to Allah, loses their appetite or desire to become closer to Allah. In fact, these things seem like a burden on them. Just like a person who has no appetite when they look at food, they're absolutely not interested in eating. Sometimes it even reaches the level that they're repulsed, they have an aversion to eating. Sometimes, uh, may Allah SWT save us from this, but sometimes we can even enter a state, not only that we don't desire to do ibadah, we're averse to ibadah. We feel an aversion to worship, we'll look at the Qur'an and we're averse to the idea of picking it up and reading it. We'll walk past the masjid and we're averse to the idea of going and praying in it. We'll look at anything, we'll look at a tasbih and we're averse to the idea of spending some moments and doing uh, dhikr or istighfar or durood or salawat or any of the different ways. Right? We will be averse to making du'a. We will want to hastily finish our prayers. Sometimes we will leave out the extra supplications at the end. So all of these things are signs of the hardness in the heart. And the hardness of the heart is the first of five signs mentioned by Fudayl ibn Ayyad, rahimahullah ta'ala, as one of, the, one of the five signs of corruption or wretchedness or baseness that comes in a human being. The second sign that he mentions is severity in the eyes. Now severity in the eyes can be understood in two ways. The first is that an eye that becomes dry. In other words, that an eye that is no longer able to shed a tear for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not an eye that becomes dry. We might still be able to cry for many reasons. Many of us are able to shed tears profusely for lesser reasons. Maybe some reasons might even be valid. Sometimes we might shed tears for invalid reasons. But we're not able to shed a single tear over our inability to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or our distance from Him or our shortcomings or our failings or our flaws or our character flaws or our bad attributes. And so that is described as having an eye that is severe. That in a sense an eye that has become hardened, right? It has become hardened against shedding a tear. The second way severity of the eyes may be understood is that an eye that has become hardened to because of the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, that eye which persists in looking at things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited when a person misdirects their gaze or uses their faculty or their perception or their faculty of vision or their sight perception to look at things, to capture images uh, into their heart that have a deep and permanent lasting effect on them and they're oblivious to the effect that 
those images are having. And then over time, then their eyes become hardened. The third thing that Fazal ibn Yadrahim mentions is paucity of shame. Paucity of shame, and there's an absence or a scarcity of shame, right? Shame here means haya, an absence of haya. So that is something that we've already mentioned, right? And let me explain this a bit more. Even in some sense, we're supposed to have haya intellectually. Now what does that mean? Many times a young person, sometimes we read something in the Quran, we don't understand it, right? Or we read or we listen to a hadith and we don't understand what it means. Or we find it difficult to accept. Or we find it difficult to reconcile our own tab'iyat, our own personality and temperament with what we might intellectually, honestly accept as the teaching of the deen or the sharia. But we have a difficult time submitting to it and understanding why that is so. Right? Now there's a fine line, right? Most of us are taught in the secular liberal arts university to adopt critical thinking, right? You see, there's a certain haya that we have before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That means there's a certain haya that we're supposed to have before the kalamullah or the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a certain level of haya that we're supposed to have before the teachings of His beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that means that we don't treat this like the words of an ordinary human being that we might deconstruct in SS class or you might critically analyze. Uh, we might even tear it to pieces. That's not the adham that we have towards the words of Allah or the words of His Messenger. At the same time, it doesn't mean that that Islam does not allow you to ponder, to reflect, to investigate, to search for truth, to search for a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding that can strengthen your belief and conviction in Allah and His Messenger. And the way to do that, the way to manage this fine line or to understand this nuance is haya and adab. In other words, that if we read a verse or we hear a verse that we don't understand fully what it means or we can't reconcile ourselves with the intended meaning, then we have to have other before Allah. We should have haya before Allah and think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, until and unless I fully mentally, intellectually understand this, I still commit myself to believing it as you have revealed it and as you have intended. And I ask you to remove whatever illnesses are on my intellect that are preventing me from understanding or whatever illnesses might be in my heart that are preventing me from implementing. Now whenever a person comes before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with such a submissive and a humble attitude, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will open up to them uh, the doors to his deen, the doors to understanding his deen. In fact, all Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to see is the person wants to make that struggle. He says in the Quran al-Kareem, that surely those who strive, who make effort, who struggle in my way, in our path, I will definitely, definitely guide and to them, uh, I would open up to them more and more paths of guidance. And so this is part of the haya that we have before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And sometimes that's another thing that we lack in this day and age. Right? A lack of haya or adab towards the teachings of the deen, a lack of haya and adab towards the ilm of the deen, and a lack of haya and adab towards the uh, people who are carriers of that ilm. The third thing that Fuzail ibn Ayyad mentioned, so the first one, the first sign was hardness of the heart, the second sign was severity in the eyes, the third sign was paucity, scarcity, or shame, and the fourth thing is desire for this world. Right? This is why the Prophet ﷺ that love for this world is the source of all error, of all deviation. Right? Now what does this mean? This means an unlawful desire for this world. How do we know that a desire, that our level of desire for this world or to the extent that we're desiring this world or whatever object of the world it is that we're desiring, how do we know if that's unlawful? Basically unlawful desire for this world means something that is a rival. 
to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah desires X for us and we desire Y. So if our, our desire for anything in the world is something other than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala desires for us, other than that which He has wished for us or indicated to us in the Quran and Sunnah, other than those things that He has rendered permissible for us to seek, then that means that that level of desire for the world is unlawful. That object of the world to desire it is unlawful. Then as far as level of desire of the world, that if we desire the world so much to the extent that it distracts us from the remembrance of Allah, if it distracts us from the obedience to Allah, if it diminishes us in our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that means that again that desire for this world has been set up as a rival. It is rivaling, it is competing with our heart. Uh, for our attention, for our time, for our devotion. And that is in the type of desire for the world that is something that can bring uh, corruption or baseness or wretchedness into a human being. And the fifth thing that Fazayla ibn Ta'ala mentions is limitless expectation for worldly gain. Right? And this is key, limitless is a key word, limitless expectation for worldly gain. This sometimes in Arabic this is called tuli amal or to have long hopes, false hopes, to expect that we will either live in this world for a limitless period of time. And nobody does that rationally. Everybody rationally, intellectually accepts the fact that we're going to pass away, that we're going to die. Limitless expectation means that we don't act that way. We act in this world as if we're living forever. We act as in this world as if there's no tomorrow, right? I mean, and these are phrases that people have come up with. Live as if there's no tomorrow. Live for the day, uh, you know, live day by day. In other words, that we adopt a philosophy of life, an outlook of life, a way of life, a lifestyle, in which basically the lifestyle choices that we make indicate that we are people who don't really think that this life is limited or that our expectations from this life should be limited, right? Uh, so we shouldn't have unlimited expectations from this life. The only thing that will be able to satisfy us in a limitless way is Jannah, is the Akhirah, is the Hereafter. This world is limited in terms of its time. This world is limited in terms of what it has to offer to us. This world is limited in terms of the happinesses and pleasures that it offers. And specifically here he mentions limitless expectation for worldly gain. What that means is that not only do they desire the world, but they desire more and more and more and they, every time they get something they just want more right uh, so for example a businessman starts a new business and he's successful he wants more he wants to have another shop he has two shops he wants to open a third branch he has three branches he wants to diversify and set up another product line and if one thing leads to another and obviously to a certain extent a person has to do some of this but when it becomes limitless it becomes endless right then the world becomes an end in of itself and for people who believe in Allah, who believe in the Akhirah, who are people of Iman, the world is never an end in of itself, it's just a means. Acquiring the world is just a means of earning a halal livelihood, a means of supporting uh, ourselves and our family, a means of perhaps doing khidmat of humanity, serving the poor and the needy, a means of perhaps assisting uh, or a means of perhaps enabling ourselves to go for Hajj, to go for Ummah, or to do things that are pleasing to Allah that in this day and age perhaps require a certain level of financial uh, you know, uh, ability, or to use our income, our earnings in this world to do some khidmat al deen of Allah, to contribute to the construction of masajid, or madaris, or khankas, or hospitals, or anything. Uh, but all of these things and all of the all of these things that we mentioned have one thing in common is that this world is a means, it's a sabab. It's not an end of itself. It has no moral value or no virtue in itself. And of itself it's morally neutral. 
but we can use it as a means to do something good and do something virtuous. But those people who have a limitless expectation for worldly gain, for them the acquisition of the world or wealth is the end in of itself. And therefore then they keep chasing after that and that is a chase or that is a pursuit that is endless, that is limitless, uh, that ends really only when a person passes away. And that's why it's something that's been much common to them. When a person passes away from this world, they don't take anything of the world with them, right? They don't take their wealth with them. They don't take the property with them. They don't take their houses, cars, anything. They don't, none of that stuff goes with them. The only thing that goes with them are the deeds that they committed and the good works they left behind that others benefit from. So if a person can use their wealth to benefit humanity in some lasting way, leave a legacy behind that continues to benefit people long after even they passed away, then a person continues to get that thawab, even though they passed away from this world. But if they use their wealth simply to build things or to you know, acquire things that are no benefit to anybody in their lifetime, let alone that they would benefit someone after they passed away, then you know that you know the acquisition of the world then uh, was not of much benefit to them, right? So then Imam al continues then on this uh, you know topic of haya, and he writes that know that haya causes, as it were, a melting. For it is said that haya is the melting of a man's inner organs when he is aware of the Lord's gaze upon him. What does this mean, right? Uh, and you would, you know, people in English use this term. It's quite, it's fascinating that centuries ago, in Arabic, a person was using the same term. And so we say, right, when we, when somebody who is our beloved gazes upon us or smiles upon us, or we feel that somebody who is our beloved is aware of us, we say in English, "Are my heart melted." Right? And this was the state of these people, right? This was the state of the people who were the awliya of Allah, who were the muqarrabun, who were the people who had drawn close to Him, that their hearts melted with this awareness, right? That Allah SWT was looking at them, that He was gazing upon them, that He was aware of them, right? So it melted in one way. Sometimes their heart melted in the sense that they were warmed or they were touched by the mercy of Allah, by His generosity. And another way their heart was melted because they felt haya when they realized or that uh, when they reflected upon the majesty or the azmat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right so he writes that shame is the hayas the hearts contracting in order to exalt the majesty of Allah in other words that their hearts melted before the majesty of Allah their willpower to do their determination their irada their intention to do things that might have been displeasing to Allah melted right finished faded away when they presented themselves or they became aware of the azmat or the sha'an or the majesty or the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when somebody asked Imam al-Janayn al-Baghdadi rahimahullah about haya, he replied that the state, the sifat called haya, is born of knowing that blessings from Allah persist despite one's negligence. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so this is another type of shame now, right? This is a shame which is shyness, that humbleness, that we are too embarrassed to do to disobey a Lord who continues to shower us with His graces even when we disobey Him, right? And this is an incredible mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That although He has the power to punish us, He has the power to take back all of His blessings, He has the power to stop His blessings upon us at any moment. And in fact, it would have been His haq, it would have perfectly befitted His adl, His justice, to punish us immediately whenever we commit a sin. The second we misused our eyes, He should have taken away our sight. The second we misused our tongue, He should have taken away our voice. The second we misused any organ or our bodies in any way, He should have simply paralyzed 
or, or numbed those organs of ours. That would have been completely in accordance with His justice. But it is His mercy that dominates His adl, His mercy that supersedes His wrath or His anger, in which that Allah SWT then has chosen to persist in showering His graces and blessings upon humanity, despite our disobedience, that He continues to leave the door of Tawbah open to humanity, even if they themselves have chosen to leave His door. He continues to open the door of Hidayah to humanity, even if they have chosen to deny Him, deny His existence, have chosen to disbelieve in Him. And so this is an incredible mercy, this is the muhla, or this is the stay, the period, that Allah SWT, the respite that He has given us on this world. And when a person reflects upon this, that the doors of Allah SWT are always open, then that leads a person to extreme haya. That leads a person to shame and shyness and modesty before their Lord. But how can I be so rebellious? How can I be so negligent? How can I be so disobedient of such a kind and generous Lord? And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran al-Kareem, Ya ayyuhal insan ma ghurraka bi rabbika al-Kareem That, O oh, humanity, what has deceived you about your kind and generous Lord? What has deluded you about your kind and generous Lord? What has made you turn away from that door that never closes? What has made you leave that being who always is willing to... Uh, forgive you what has made you spurn that being and love others who do not honor the love that you give them why do we not love Allah SWT that being who is ever loyal why do not we give our love to Allah SWT who would honor our love and make us his beloved if we want to be the mahboob of any person or any being then surely it befits us that we should raise our level of humanity and try to mold ourselves and make ourselves in such a way that we become the mahboob or the beloved of Allah SWT May Allah SWT give all of us the ability to become people of haya, of shame, modesty and shyness, to become people of humility and submissiveness. And may Allah SWT save us from hardness of the heart, severity in the eyes. May He save us from having an absence of haya. May He save us from unlawful and excessive desire for this world. And may He save us from having limitless expectations for worldly gain. اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين Rabbana, Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem Ya Allah, you granted us the gift of Iman Ya Allah, zalamna anfusna Ya Allah, we have wronged ourselves We have oppressed our souls Ya Allah, we have not adorned ourselves With the attributes of Iman Ya Allah, we have not nurtured or strengthened our Iman Ya Allah, we have not given life to our Iman We have not struggled to make our Iman Kamil and Mukammal Ya Allah, if you do not shower your maghfirah Your forgiveness upon us If you do not shower your rahman, your mercy upon us Lanakunanna min al-khasirin Ya Allah, verily we will be amongst the lost ones Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to forgive us for all the sins that we have ever committed Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins that we committed in the past Forgive us for the sins that we persist in the present And Ya Allah, forgive us for any slips and transgressions we may yet commit in the future Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins that we committed in the day Forgive us for the sins that we did at night Forgive us for the sins that we did to ourselves Forgive us for the sins that we did to others Ya Allah, forgive us for the sins that we did alone And forgive us for the sins that we did in the company of others Ya Allah Ya Rabbi Kareem we ask you to forgive us for the sins that we remember and forgive us for those sins that we've even forgotten that we committed them Ya Allah we ask you to keep us 
away from the people of sin, from the opportunity of sin, from the thoughts of sin, from the desires of sin. Ya Allah, we ask you to remove from us the memories of sin. Ya Allah, we ask you to distance ourselves from the memories of the pleasures of sin. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to guide us to a life of taqwa, guide us to a life of piety, guide us to a life of righteousness. Ya Allah, decree pleasure for us in those things that are pleasing to you. And Ya Allah, let us be have a repugnance and revulsion to those things that are displeasing to you. Ya Allah, we beg of you to restore to us our iman. We ask you to preserve our iman. We ask you to strengthen our iman. Ya Allah, we ask you to give us the sifat of haya. Ya Allah, too, we, we too want to be amongst your modest and shy servants. Ya Allah, we too want to be amongst your submissive and sincere servants. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you to adorn us with the attribute of haya, to drown us in the attribute of haya, to make us have the proper adab towards you, towards your noble Quran, towards your blessed messenger, Sallallahu and to his kalam and firman. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, to increase us in our love for you, increase us in our love for those who love you, and increase us in our love for those actions that will draw us closer to you. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us good company, we ask you to grant us good friends, we ask you to enable us to listen to sincere advice, Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to internalize all the things that we know and we hear, and Ya Allah, we ask you to give us the ability to practice what we know, and to be sincere in our practice. We ask you to grace that practice with your acceptance, and we ask you for istikama, for constant and regularity in our practice. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, those of us who have any difficulties, any obstacles in following the deen, Ya Allah, we ask you to ease those difficulties and remove those obstacles. And Ya Allah, those of us who have nothing but our own laziness and our own heedlessness to blame, Ya Allah, we ask you to strengthen us to combat our lazy souls. And we ask you to com- strengthen us so we can combat our heedless hearts. Ya Allah, we ask you to enable us to increase in our dhikr, in our taqwa, in our sabr, in our inaba, in our tawbah. <coughs> and our ikhlas Ya Allah we ask you to adorn us with all the sifat of the mu'mineen and the mu'minat Ya Allah we ask you to make the ummahat of mu'mineen and the sahabiyat are true role models Ya Allah we ask you to guide us to their stories guide us to their lives Ya Allah make us learn from their models Ya Allah give us the same kifiyat that they used to have put the same states that were in their heart in our heart Ya Allah let us love you as they used to love you let us respect your beloved messenger some the way they respected him Ya Allah let us become close to you as they were close to you Rabbana takammal minna innaka anta samil alim watubu alayna innaka anta tawab rahim وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين